Well, this morning uh, we are going to tackle the question, can we lose our salvation? And those of you that have maybe a similar theological background of mine might just look at that and go, well, no. Uh, Case closed, simple answer to that question. We were saved by grace through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn it, so there's nothing we can do to lose it. And I do believe that to be true. But there's also a little bit more complexity to this question that I want us to dive into today. So let me start with a story. Uh, this happened a few years back. Uh, I think it was the first time that we went to Lubbock with, uh, as a family, but in particular with our oldest daughter, Brooke. She was looking at Texas Tech where she ended up going to school and went to nursing school and uh, is now working as a nurse here in the area. But this was the first time that we had gone to, to Lubbock and we were, I think, on our way home. I can't remember if it was going or coming back, but we stopped in Abilene to get gas. And while we're in the gas station, Sean looks down and she sees a, uh, something on the ground, a little ticket, and it says Texas Lottery on the top of it. And so, you know, curiosity kind of gets her, so she picks up the, the lottery ticket, and uh, we get back in the car, and she's like, hey, I, let me check and see what the winning numbers were to the lottery. And so she has the little numbers on this ticket, and she begins to check. First number matches, second number matches, third number, fourth number, all six numbers match. Now, for just a, a minute, we're thinking, oh my gosh, what, you know, what, what is going on here? And, but then kind of the, the logical processor starts to kick in, you know, at least uh, on, on my end of kind of thinking, there's no way, right? Uh, now, Sean's a little more hopeful, a little more full of faith, thinking maybe God has chosen to bless us, right? And, so, and certainly God has chosen to bless us in abundant ways, but it was not through giving us a winning lottery ticket. In fact... We didn't find a lottery ticket at all. What we found, see, we've never played the lottery before, y'all, so we just didn't have a clue. What we found was a printout of the winning numbers from the previous lottery. (laughs) Now, what if, rather than figuring that out pretty quickly, what if we had based our future decisions on the false belief that we had won the lottery. I mean, what if we just decided, you know, we're going to buy a second home, we're going to get a boat, we're going to go on this crazy vacation. What if Sean said, hey, I'm going to drain every penny from our bank account and go on a shopping spree because there's millions more coming. I mean, what now, now those of you actually that are worried about us, I don't think that's how we would respond anyway, but it makes for a better story, right? What if we had made all these crazy decisions based on a false belief of security? Now, see, that that would be foolish, right? It would be foolish to place our security in wealth that we didn't have. And for that matter, it's foolish for us to place our security in wealth that we do have, but that won't last. But that's, that's another story. Where we would be wise is to place our security in what does last. And that is in our salvation. I, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 is a passage I've been spending a little bit of time in recently uh, just kind of memorizes some of the beginning of that chapter. And, and it talks about this inheritance that we have. It says that can never perish, spoil, or fade, which is kept in heaven for you. I mean, what, what a great image and a great phrase to think about. Our eternal inheritance is one that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And so it is, it is there. It will never go away. We would be wise to place our faith and our trust in that type of an inheritance. But we'd better make sure that we have a real ticket. You with me? We need to make sure that we know if that's where our security is, that that it is founded on something. And so uh, what I mean by that is this, that once we are born into God's family, 
we are his forever, but at the same time, it is also possible, and I believe happens quite frequently, that we can fool ourselves into thinking that our eternity is secure when maybe it isn't. So that's what we're going to talk about, kind of both sides of those, those things today as we jump into this question, can I lose my salvation? Really, there are a couple of pitfalls or a couple of things that, that we want to really, landmines is maybe a better word, a couple of landmines that we want to avoid when it comes to how we address this question. The first one is this, it's living in doubt about whether we're saved. Or for that matter, whether it's even possible to know that. And a lot of people, maybe some of you here can relate to that, struggle some with doubt. Can I really know for sure? In Ephesians chapter 1, we talked about this last week, uh, verse 4 was one of the verses we spent a lot of time on where it said that we were chosen in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And we talked some about the whole fact that, that God chooses us and the Bible talks a lot about the elect and how do we understand that. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach that, that whole sermon, but I will say this, that that whole concept of some being perhaps chosen and some perhaps not being chosen can create some anxiety for people and, and, and cause them to ask the question, what if I'm not one of God's chosen? Now that's why I believe, and without going back into the whole message again, why I believe it's important for us to understand that we have all been given the opportunity to respond to Christ. And yes, we can't respond apart from God drawing us and, and you know, allowing us to have faith, but at the same time, we have that opportunity to respond. Um, but if we don't believe that, that can create some sense of insecurity of, am I really his or not? So where do we go with that then? How do we develop that, that sense of, of security? Maybe for some, this is a question that you're continuing to wrestle with. Maybe you are not absolutely sure that if you were to die today that you would spend eternity in heaven. And can I just say to this, I want to offer some encouragement to you, but also say that's not something that we want to be uncertain about, right? That's not something that we want hanging over our heads, uh, that, that we are just not really sure. Maybe we think so or hope so. No, we want to know for sure. And Scripture does tell us that we can know. We really can. We can have absolute 100% certainty of the fact that, that we will spend eternity with God, that, that we are saved. However you want to put that, uh, we can know that. And my favorite passage that guides us uh, along those lines is 1 John chapter 5. I would love for you to turn with me, 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13. And we're going to, again, jump around to a few different passages today, but we're going to start here because this, to me, is a really foundational passage. It says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of God so that you may, say this next word with me, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you can hope or think, but that you may know that you have eternal life. And I really like that word. I want to key in on that word know for a minute. That word means uh, can, can mean a couple things. It can mean to see, like with physical eyes, to see something and to know that it's real. Or it can often even mean perceive. Now that sounds a little bit more, you know, less rock solid to use that term, right? But think of it like this. What it's saying is that it's out there, but we need to be 
aware of it and we need to perceive it. We need to, to know that it's there so that we can have that security. I don't know if any of you, and maybe guys, and I know I'm probably stereotyping a little bit here, but maybe, maybe you're like me and, and I think we tend to not be as good about noticing things as sometimes our female counterparts are. At least that's the case in our family. And I am, you know, kind of known for not noticing things like the time uh, when Sean and I were first married and we bought our first home and one of the bedrooms we dedicated to a study because I was in seminary at the time and so I spent a lot of time in this study. And so she being the sweet wife that she is wanted to make it as appealing an environment as possible and so she went and got curtains and put curtains up on the windows and everything so it would look nicer in this room that I spent so much time with. And after three days of me not commenting, she asked me, did you even notice that I put curtains in the room? And I had to admit, no, I didn't. I had been spending all this time in there for three days and didn't even notice. Sometimes I don't perceive or I don't notice things that are right there. Um, it, it's not that, that, that it was difficult. It's just that I was focused on something else. And in the same way, we can miss the fact that we can know that we have eternal life, but we can get distracted or there can be other questions. I, 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 this is one of the questions I like to ask people for having a spiritual conversation uh, is, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would spend eternity in heaven? And some people say yes. A lot of people say, well, I hope so. Well, I think so. Or I'm not sure. Or I've even had some people say, well, nobody can know that for sure. But then I would come back to the scripture that says, actually, we can. We, we can know this. This is not a question that has to be lingering out there. So how do we know? Well, verse 11 tells us that God is the one who gives us. It talks about this gift of eternal life. He gives us eternal life. We could never earn it, but it is a gift that God offers through Christ. And that little phrase, in his son... There in verse 11 is the key. Eternal life is found only in Jesus. The reason for that is because Jesus is the only person who ever lived who is qualified to meet God's standard of righteousness. He's the only one who had no sin of his own. He was perfect. And the Bible tells us that our imperfection or our sinfulness creates uh, a, a gap between us and God. It separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. And so... We then have to pay the penalty for our own sins unless we accept the penalty that Jesus paid on our behalf. So because Jesus was perfect, he lived up to God's standard. And he was able to die in our place to become a substitute for our sins. And that's why God poured his wrath out on Jesus. It's not too far down the road now. What, a couple more weeks or so? That, uh, maybe three weeks, I guess, that we'll be celebrating Easter and the Friday before is the day we call Good Friday. We remember Jesus' death on the cross. And we're actually going to, by the way, have a really special, impactful service on that day that's going to have a different feel toward just remembering the crucifixion and what Jesus did for us. Um, but that's, he, he took the wrath of God on our behalf. He died in our place. And that's what qualifies him to become our Savior. But verse 12 it is also very clear that not everybody has life. It says whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the fact that Jesus died in our place does not mean that that saves everybody. Just Jesus' death and even resurrection on its own does not save us. 
it provides the opportunity and it, it, it satisfies everything that needs to be done for our salvation. But there has to be a point of, of faith. There has to be a response. And in other words, it says here, whoever has the Son has life. He's talking here about relationship, which we'll get into more as we continue on today. But there are some who have the Son, who have a relationship with the Son, and some that don't. Or really, maybe a better way to put it, I'm not, <laughs> I say that, I'm saying, it almost sounds like I'm correcting Scripture. Maybe a better way for us to understand it in our minds is not do we have the Son, but does He have us? Right? Have we given ourselves to Him so that there is... A real relationship there. Um, and if there is, then verse 13 says that we can know that we have eternal life. We can be 100% sure. Now, one other passage that I want us to turn to before we jump into some questions, because then that, the question always comes up is, okay, well, what about those who start to follow Christ and then they fall away at some point? How do we understand that? We're going to get there in just a minute. But before we do, Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 13 and 14, we were in a little bit of Ephesians 1 last time, but I want us to skip ahead to verses 13 and 14. Read this with me. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Now, again, you see that little phrase there, in Christ, verse 13. You also were included in Christ when you heard this, this message of salvation. This gospel, which means good news, is simply the message that Jesus died in our place, that he gave his life for us as a sacrifice for our sins. And so because of that, because he has done that, it says that, that that's where our salvation comes from. But notice, we can't stop just at the beginning of verse 13. Where it says you were included in Christ when you heard the message of the, of the gospel. But then it clarifies at the end of the verse. It says when you believed you were marked in him with this seal. Or, or, or maybe a more literal translation. Some of you may say having believed you were marked in him with this seal. So at the point that we come to faith in Christ. We believe in him. And by the way that word believe. It's the same word. It's the verb form of the word for faith. So when you see believe think of placing your faith in him. When you believed in him or trusted in Christ, put your faith in Christ, at that point it says that we were marked in him. We were identified as a child of God. And that identification is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We were given the Spirit. Having believed, we were marked in him with the seal. And it says then, it goes on and uses another term there. It says that he is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That is really interesting language especially in light of all the craziness going on in the banking industry these days, right? I'm sure many of you have been following that, and we hear a lot more about the FDIC right now, don't we? And how, you know, all these bank collapse and people's money, and people are freaking out about it, and am I going to get my money out of the bank, and what's going to happen to it? And, and you know, there's a certain limit of $250,000 that is secured, and it's insured by the FDIC. I, I read this, and, and I thought, wow, interesting, in light of all we're thinking about, that he uses this terminology, that he is a deposit that guarantees our inheritance. This is our guarantee, the Holy Spirit, that we will never lose what has been given to us. If we are children of God, if we are marked in him with the Holy Spirit, then we belong to him. When you believe you're his, and when you're his, you're his forever. So the first landmine 
that we need to avoid is living in doubt about our salvation. Here's the second one that we need to avoid. And that is thinking we're saved when we aren't. And this is a big one too. Because just as we can actually have doubt when we shouldn't, you know, we really do have a relationship with Christ, we really should be confident in our salvation, the flip side of that is we can also live with a false sense of security thinking, hey, I'm good, when in fact we might not be. And so let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's make sure that we're not putting our trust in a printout of winning lottery numbers rather than an actual winning ticket. Matthew chapter 7 Let's turn to another passage of scripture there as we flip around to different places in our Bible this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And there are a lot of different places, by the way, way, way more than we'll have time to cover in our time together here. But they they kind of speak to similar issues or similar um, topic. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, if this passage is a little bit shocking to you, it should be. When Jesus told this, I believe he wanted to get people's attention. He wanted to to, to help people understand that you mean there are some who are absolutely sure that, uh, of, that they're good with God and they're going to find out they're not? I mean, that, that ought to you know, catch our attention a little bit, make us ask, okay, what, what do I need to, to learn from this? You know, I, I find it very interesting that this, this all is part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. This comes right after, not very soon after at least, Jesus talking about recognizing a tree by the fruit that it bears. In fact, it is right after that. The section right before it. True and false prophets. And you know, it's where he says you, you can tell what kind of tree it is by the fruit that it bears. It seems to me that these people who are standing before him are people that seem to be bearing fruit. Right? Because they're saying things that we prophesied in your name and your name drove out demons. I mean, and this is not lightweight spiritual activity. Right? These are things that, that, they're, that they're actually seem to be doing. And so, what's going on here? What, what do we take from this? And there are a couple of things I think we can learn. The first one is that spiritual talk isn't enough. You notice they use the term Lord. Lord, did we not do this in your name and do that in your name? And they knew the right things to say. They knew the right name to call Jesus. They called him Lord. But at the same time, they had no relationship with him and that tells me it's possible for us to learn the right lingo to know the right things to say and yet still to miss out on a relationship with Christ just knowledge enough I mean you can study your Bible you can know the gospel inside and outside you can know your Bible front cover to back and still not be saved Because there's more to it than just knowledge. There's more to it than just learning the the, the spiritual language to use. And then to take that a step further, I mean, that's scary enough. But this one is really even more startling to realize the things that they were doing. And still, he said, I never knew you. Because, I mean, it said they were prophesying his name, driving out demons, performing miracles in the name of Jesus. Here's the second thing that we take from that is that spiritual activity 
isn't enough. Saying the right things is not enough. And even doing the right things is not enough. What really counts here, what Jesus said is, he said, I never knew you. It's the relationship with him that is the key. And that tells me that it's actually possible to go through our lives saying the right things and maybe doing the right things. Maybe that's attending church. Maybe that's you know, giving to godly causes. Maybe that's serving in a variety of different ways. Reading your Bible. Guys, we can do all those things and still miss relationship with Christ. And Jesus, his answer was that I never knew you. And by the way, if you back up just a little bit, it says, uh, uh, not those that just say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. You remember how Jesus answered when he was asked, what is the will of God? The will of God, he said, is to believe in the one he has sent. So don't read that and interpret that of, well, see, he's talking about doing here in order to earn God's favor. No, Jesus himself said, the work of God is to believe in the one that he sent. And that's how we come to know him. So I don't think we can emphasize this point enough to say it's about relationship. And if you feel like I'm repeating myself, I am. We say that often because it's so easy to drift away into thinking there's something that I bring to the table. Or there's got to be something that I do in order to maybe add to or contribute to my salvation. And, and it's not. Back to 1 John 5. Those who have the Son have life. Those who don't have the Son don't have life. I mean, it's really as simple as that. Either we have a relationship with Christ, and if so, we can have security uh, about our salvation, or we don't, and we don't have salvation. And, and we can fool ourselves into thinking that we do. You see, these people did a lot of good things for Jesus, a lot of spiritual activity, but it's a reminder that we're all sinful. And that we will never measure up. There's no amount of good things that we could ever do to be good enough unless we were perfect. And none of us is ever going to measure up to that. That's why we said earlier, Christ is the only one, the only way to God because only he is perfect. He's our only hope for us to find forgiveness. Verse 22 says that many people will say to him, these things that they did, prophesy, drive out demons, perform many miracles. They're shocked. Because they had done so many good and religious things. And yet Jesus still sent them away. Which in this context when he's saying away from me. I believe he's speaking here to uh, eternal judgment. So what do we take from that? Now when we started off talking about we can be secure in our salvation. And now you're talking me out of it. Now you're making me wonder do I really know. No that's not the point. The point is not to say if you really know Christ. Man, then just rest in that. But it is important for us to point out the fact that we can convince ourselves that we're good and that we may be where we need to be when, in fact, we really aren't. So what about other scripture? I mean, how do we understand other passages in scripture? And where it begins to get really tricky is with those passages that talk about those that fall away. You know, I think about... Um, the parable of the seed and you know some of it grew in different places and you know, some of it sprouted up for a little while but didn't last because it didn't have roots and you know there's different things like that different passages in scripture where it, it seems to be saying that there were those that started out on the right path but they ended up falling away uh, one example of that 
And there are several, but let's just look at one more passage of Scripture together. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. It says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Now, if you um, read the context of that chapter, 2 Peter, back up just a little bit to verse 17, it talks about blackest darkness being reserved for these. talking about some false teachers, people leading them astray. Um, so, So how do we understand this passage and others in Scripture that speak to this issue of those that for a little while seem to have been following Christ and then something happens and they, they fall away. And in this case, it's talking about them and, and in terms of it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned their backs on it. So how do we, how do we understand what he's saying here? And I would go back to the passage in Matthew chapter 7. When we are trying to identify that, um, how do we wrap our minds around this whole issue of you know, seemingly following Jesus for a period of time and then maybe just you know, completely turning one's back on that? Which, by the way, let me say this, it's real important to, to distinguish here. We're not talking about someone who has a lapse of some sort, right? Somebody who falls into some type of, of sin. Um, what we're talking about is a person that completely turns away from God. And the implication would be just kind of continues down that path, right? There's, there's, there's no repentance. There's no remorse. I think uh, most of us could probably point to certain times in our life where we've slipped away. Okay, So we're not talking about that because the, the blood of Christ does cover our sin. Past, present, future. If we know him, we know him. But here's the, the challenge or the problem going back to Matthew 7. It's possible for us to think we know him because we're saying the right things or doing the right things or there's certain religious activity in our lives. But then Jesus would say to us, away from me, not because you didn't do it good enough, but because I never knew you. See, there, there, What he says in Matthew 7 is there was never a relationship in the first place. It's not that you knew me, and, and by the way, that, that word is used in 2 Peter. It's a different verb, known the ways of God. You can know about the things of God, you know, like intellectually and understand and maybe be interested in that and have a desire to follow that without it really becoming uh, a, a born-again type of thing, an, an issue where you surrender your life, where you put your trust in Jesus, and you are born again and made new, and you receive, as Ephesians 1 talks about, the Holy Spirit that is the, the deposit that guarantees our inheritance. It's possible for us to just kind of go through the motions without truly being transformed. And when I read Scripture, I'm just going to tell you, that's the way I understand it. Now, there are some difficult passages. There's, you know, the Second Peter 2. There's Hebrews 6, if you're familiar with that one. Hebrews 6 talks about, you know, those that, that started down the path and turned away. And we read those kinds of things, and it's like, okay, we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So we know when it says in places like Ephesians 1 that when you receive the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, then that's secure. Your salvation is secure. You'll never lose it. And so Scripture doesn't contradict itself, so what is it saying in other places where it seems to be saying those that started down this path and then left 
are, are not going to be saved. And the way I understand that is, again, Matthew 7, I never knew you. There was never a true relationship with Christ there in the first place. Now, those are, are difficult theological issues for us to grapple with, and we should. We should grapple with them, but let me encourage you in this. Don't take it upon yourself to decide for somebody else if they're saved or not. See, a lot of times the, the struggle we have is not internal, it's more external. It's, you know, I know somebody, and they claim to be a follower of Jesus, and then all of a sudden they just totally went the other direction, and we get really hung up on that. And we should be concerned about them, and we should reach out to them and pray for them and seek to draw them back in. However, it is not our job to be, you know, the, the judge for them to figure that out. Let God handle that. And let us focus on the things that we are able to control. And that is that we personally know that we know Jesus. That we have settled that issue for ourselves. And if you have and you know that you've settled it, then I pray that, man, you're able to just rest in that. Having a message like this and looking at Scripture, rather than creating turmoil, what this should do is create a great sense of, of security. Man, I know Jesus, and I, I, I can know that I have eternal life because I have the Son. Don't, don't talk yourself out of that. Don't create doubt in your mind. That's not the point. But if there's not ever been a time in your life where you absolutely know for sure that you have been born again, that you have come to know Jesus in a personal way, not just know about Him, but know Him, then my prayer is that, that you do you are uncomfortable and that that creates some angst there because that is an important issue to settle. And in fact, I want to, to lead through a, a prayer that if you're not absolutely sure that there's been a time in your life that you trusted in Jesus, you know, again, I, I say this all the time. It's not the words of the prayer that matters, but sometimes it helps to have a guide because maybe you're not sure where to start or what to say. And so we like to give you a guide, not the guide, but a guide, a way that you can, can pray a prayer of faith where you're putting your trust in Jesus. And I just want to invite you, as we lead into that time here in just a moment, if you've not done that, let today be your day that you trust in Christ. For those of us that are in person, for those that are watching online, just right where you are, this can be your time that you pray. The words are going to come up on the screen for you, and you can just pray this prayer of faith to Jesus, saying, I'm giving my heart to you so that I can know that I know you. So if you're ready to pray that prayer of confession and surrender and faith, pray this with me. Let's pray together. If you're ready to invite Christ to be your Savior and give your heart to Him, then pray something like this. Jesus, I want to know that I know you. Right now, I confess that I'm sinful and that I have no hope of saving myself. I believe that you died for me and rose again. Right now, I turn to you in surrender and faith. I give myself fully to you and I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me and for giving me a forever home in heaven. In your name I pray. Amen.